Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. This is an Irish independent podcast. Thewa, O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Let's have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score, number two for him! The URC is heating up as we look towards the semi-final stage this weekend. It is an Irish-South African carve-up in the final four, with Leinster hosting the Bulls in the RDS on Friday night, while Ulster travelled to Cape Town to take on the Stormers on Saturday. Ulster, of course, reached the semi-finals by trouncing Munster at Kingspan Stadium last weekend, which brought Johan van Grant's tenure to an end and means he does not deliver a trophy after five seasons in charge. Welcome to the left wing, Will Slattery here. We will be joined in a while by our South African friend, AP Cronje, to look ahead to those Ireland versus South Africa clashes at the weekend. But first, Luke Fitzgerald is here with me as always. Luke, you know, as always in this podcast, you know, Munster do seem to, to hog a lot of the uh, attention, but they've been a big story for the last couple of years. And, and the way Johan Grant's tenure ended on Friday night, I know it was very disappointing for Munster fans, but overall, how do you assess his five seasons in charge now that it's all done and dusted? Yeah, I'm kind of unsure as to how to really assess it, I think. Um, and probably, uh, I think, having thought about it all week, the, the main reason for that is because I'm not sure they've actually taken many steps forward. Um, I think, you know, I think it's good that they get a bit of a fresh start. I think Roundtree would be, you know, a good addition to that. I think he's, a, he, you know... He, He'll have a feel-good factor around him. He's, you know, he's a tough guy. You know, you, you know that from just watching him play and from, from from kind of those great teams that he played on. But he's actually a really good guy as well. Really nice. Really keen to. I think he was a really keen coach to to learn when. Now he was in an earlier stage in his career when I was when I kind of came across him. But I just found him just unbelievably pleasant to be around. Uh, really hard worker. And I think you'll get everyone moving in the right direction. And, and let's face it, like, he, he wants to be there. Like, I think he loves it over there. Uh, or sorry, down in in, uh, in Munster, you know. And I think that could be something that, you know, feels to me like this could be the start of a project, if you know what I mean. Uh, and I think if you look at the people that he's looks like he's got on his coaching ticket, um, he's clearly been able to sell that project to people, which is really important. So I'd imagine that he'll be able to go ahead and do that, um, you know, with um, with the players that he wants to, to add to this squad. Um, they do have a few areas that I would be a little bit concerned about. I think the f- the front row is there's looks like there's a lot of changes in that area. Um, you know, a few seasoned vets kind of you know heading heading of heading to to different clubs. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at Leinster, um, and whatever you might think about that La Rochelle and maybe the the scrum having the difficulties in the last couple of weeks, like that that front row is pretty brilliant. Um, and they've got good backup behind them. I think and Munster, if you look at the you know, if you look at them versus Leinster, it's probably the, the one area where you really think there's a big difference between the teams if they line out their best 15s is always what I felt. Um, 
And I think, um, you know, it's good to have a guy who'll understand how important those positions are um, to how a team operates. Um, so I think that's there's a lot of good things with the, with the Roundtree, um, you know, Roundtree coming into that space. He does have a big job on his hands um, because I do think that, you know, Van Grand's tenure, I, I just don't think he, I don't think he took the project forward too far. Um, now, he was unlucky. You know, you think of some of the injuries that he got to key guys, um, you know, that never helps. And they were key guys. Like, I mean, it, that is important. I, I don't think their resources are as deep as Leinster. Um, and like, you know, your Carberries and these guys being out injured, th- those things hurt Will. Snyman being out, like they're really unlucky things. Like they're that's your marquee signing. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel for him a little bit, but also, you know, hard to feel too bad for him when he's going over to Bath as well, <laughs> I think, to, to earn, you know, a big paycheck to a team that are... You know, I don't know. It, look, that one feels to me like, you know, how how ambitious are you? Now, it could be proved wrong in the next couple of seasons if Bath turn it around drastically. But that wasn't a good... I don't think that's a good look either. Like, Munster are still very ambitious, even if they are probably a little bit off, off the pace at the moment. Yeah, like when people are talking about, you know, did Johan van Grand bring them forward? Any kind of steps forward they made I think were kind of offset by the quantum leap that kind of Leinster have made at the same time if you look at the last year before Van Grand came in it was Rosie Rasmus's one year there they got to the Pro 14 final Leinster didn't get to the Pro 14 final last year and they got badly beaten by the Scarlets two years before that Munster got to the Pro 14 final again they played Glasgow Leinster didn't get to the final then either and they didn't take that opportunity and then once maybe Munster, if say Van Grand did maybe make some improvements, Leinster under Stuart Lancaster and Leo Cullen have just jumped forward so much more than they have that it made it very difficult to to take any league titles over that time. In, just in terms of last Friday, you know, even like were you surprised with how poor they were, or how badly beaten they they were? Like looking at the two team sheets beforehand, it seemed you know quite evenly matched. Munster had beaten Ulster and Ravenhill very recently. You know, it, it, they, they've been playing quite well, other than that Leinster game coming into this. The two European fixtures against Exeter and Toulouse were two of their best performances under Van Grand. So it didn't really be pointing to a, a terrible finish to what, what they had on Friday. No, but I, I my complaint with them has, has definitely always been the last couple of years that they don't really have that stingy a defense. Like, I think they make, mm. they, 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 like, the, it's 30, is it 36 points, I think, wasn't it? 36 yeah. points they conceded. Like, that's. I don't care if you're away from home. Like you're not going to win many rugby matches if you're conceding 36 points. And they don't have like a stellar attack either. Um, they have a good attack, I think, but it's not too bad. Um, you know, and, and they do have some guys who can kind of cut you up, and uh, they have good forward carriers. You know, they can score tries. Is basically what I'm trying to say there. Um, you know, and they can build pressure, and, and they do have good kickers generally. Um, but their defense, I think the defense, like you look at the Leinster games as well, like they were games at home. Some of those tries were, I thought, were very, just too easy to be conceding at the top level. Um, and and when you're at the business end of the season, teams will punish you for those things. I mean, you see Leinster had an off day defensively against La Rochelle and they got chopped up. Like that's what happens, you know. Um, and I think um, you still need to score tries to win, but you can't concede them either. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, uh, you know, going in thinking you're going to outscore teams is... Um, I'm. I'm not saying they're doing that. I'm saying that's. I don't. I really don't think that works at the top level. I think teams will figure you out. They'll figure out how to keep your score down, um, and impose themselves on you. And, and that's what Ulster did. You know. Now I think some, the quick tap was a bit. Um, I don't even know what to say about that. That seemed a bit crazy, didn't it? Like I do hate all the pushing and shoving, and and I will say Munster seemed to always be at that. Like I've never seen anyone throw a punch, 
but there's always pushing and shoving going on. I think it's a complete waste of time. And <laughs> I thought it was terrible refereeing because it does oh, go on all the time. How was that allowed? I don't, I don't like know. That. Like that, it, was, that, that was crazy. That was crazy. But look, it's like Rod's um, back in the day against South Africa. You know, taking that. Uh, you know, I don't know. It was. I don't even know what to say about that. That seemed like the most hometown decision of all time. <laughs> Um, but leaving that aside, like they, they still conceded like, you know, 30 points aside from that. Um, and there were some, re- look, there was some lovely play by, by, um, by Ulster, you know, I think, look, that pass by Hume was obviously a, um, like it was beautiful. I mean, look, I'm not sure we didn't get to see many angles of it back. Um, it was right on the edge. Um, but like that was a bit of a run in try really early pretty much almost got back to stop it. But, um, I thought that was a little bit too easy in your 22 as well, even though, Look, it was a lovely try and it looked really good in the eye. I, I just, I'd be disappointed if that was me on that, uh, you know, on that monster wing being left that exposed. Um, so, um, I think the defense is, is 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 something that they can get fixed pre- pretty quickly. Like they have some fairly physical guys. They have people who want to play for the jersey in the big matches, but. I think they probably got away with it a bit against Toulouse. You remember I brought it up against Toulouse. I said, look, yeah, look, they, they got to, to extra time. But I remember saying to you, like, they missed something like 30 tackles or something like that. They missed loads of tackles. And I felt they kind of got a bit lucky, um, you know, to that, that Toulouse didn't really put them to the sword um, at, at times. And Leinster, like, were, Leinster have put them to the sword pretty much every time they've played them in the last, I don't know, was it seven years? Um because their attack is probably a little bit more clinical than than that Toulouse would than Toulouse were that day. So I think that's a big area for them next year that they can fix pretty much straight away. If I was Graham Roundtree and his staff, like that's that is what I would be focusing on straight away. Like that brings you straight back into the mix. If you can keep teams down below kind of twenty points, and that ten percent threshold that everyone talks about for missed tackles, like you need to be getting there, will you know? And they haven't been doing that. So um, I don't think like I don't think things are as bad as. Um, you know, probably the the rhetoric around Munster at the moment, but I do think there's definitely problems there that they need to fix. Front row and defence will be the first things that I would be looking at if I was in that Munster camp. Um, and you know my views on that ten slot. I won't go back into that, but I do think they've got two really good young tens there that basically sit on the bench for them. Um, so either one of them needs to go into that twelve slot, or you know one of them needs to go back to fullback. I think, um, because they're wasted talents. Um. I my preference again, you know, would be Joey Carberry back there, but um, I don't think they're going to do that. So, um, yeah, there are probably a couple of areas that I'd be thinking about straight off the bat when I think about Munster. Will, yeah, I, I agree with you though that it, I don't think it is as bad as the noise around it. Like Munster, obviously, is such a big brand in Irish rugby that like they are going to be a big talking point all the time. But like when I look at that squad, I do think there's a lot of good young players in it, and I do think with better coaching they can be a much better team. I, I don't think they need like huge changes. Now, obviously, to compete at the top table in Europe and winning a Champions Cup is difficult, but I definitely think they could be doing better than they are with the squad that they have. I don't look at that squad and think it's a really poor squad or they are miss- They don't have like a lot of young talent. They do have a lot of young talent. And it's only in the last maybe year to 18 months that Van Grant actually started maybe backing them a little bit more. And if he had done that earlier in his reign, potentially some of these guys could, could be further down the line. Um, in terms of Ulster... You know, how impressed were you with their performance? You know, on the flip side of, of Munster missing a lot of tackles, like the Ulster attack looked like it was really humming. They go to the Stormers this weekend. I know we're going to touch on the game in a little more depth with AP later in the show, but just from their performance last Friday, you know, what, what did you make of it? 
I was so impressed with some of their outside backs. I mean, I just love watching Balakun. I think he looks like a really balanced runner. I thought when he went through on that set play um, that he probably should have backed himself. He thought he passed a little bit too early. Um, I don't know if you ever know the one I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. It was that, uh, I think it was, was it off line out? I think it was. Uh, definitely from the going right to left anyway. Uh, beautiful bit of handling. He just is such a balanced runner. He looks so quick and he looks quite big. He looks like he's put on a bit of weight too. So, I think he he'll put serious pressure on for for that Irish team over the next I think year or two. I think we could. He's a guy maybe you might call out for possibly sneaking into that Irish team for for the World Cup. I just think we just don't have that out out now pace. You know what I mean? And I think he's got that. And he looks like he's put on a little bit of size as well. So he looks really good. I thought Hume and McCluskey set the tone. I think when those two guys play well. Um, I think Ulster play well, actually. I think they really set the tone for them. I think they're guys, they're both big guys. They both have pretty good footwork. Um, McCluskey, particularly, I thought, like, Hume would get a lot of the plaudits, and I uh, look, he was excellent. Um, but I thought McCluskey was quietly went about his business. Like, you know, just very physical. Every exchange with him looked sore. You know, it looked like it was a sore tackle. It looked like he was dominating the contact, able to get the hands free. Um, I just like McCluskey a lot as a player. Uh, always did. You know, I came up against him a few times myself, and I just felt like he was a, just a good, you know, when you just come up against a good player, uh, you know, whatever sport you're playing, I just always felt like he was a guy who got a bit of a raw deal at international level. Um, and probably might have come a little bit too early for him. He looks really matured now, and he's a really important part of the puzzle for um, for, for Ulster. Um, I thought their pack looked good as well. I mean, look, at the same, like, it, I thought they did get the edge on um, over Munster. Um you know they were they were physical when they needed to be. I thought they also have the ability to play a bit as well, and they they, they spread the pitch well. I think they look very well organized. Like I think Dan McFarland has done a really good job there. I you know my opinion on Dan. I think he's been very very good. Um, I think they they haven't found that consistency, which we know about. Um, I think if they go far in the league or if they were to, if they were to win the league, um, that might be the stepping stone that this team needs maybe to take them on to the next level. I think because they are one step below a Leinster in my mind still to at this point just. They haven't been able to back up huge performances the next week, you know. And I think, um, yeah, I'm kind of rooting for them. I'd like to see them go the next step. I think there's a lot of good, as you say. I think I think Ulster, conversely to to Munster, maybe uh, maybe the, the this season Munster have been better at it. But I think Ulster have really backed their young guys, and they've come up through their academy. I just love seeing that, and you can see that when you do that. I think it actually really energizes the whole club and you get like great support behind the team as well. And and I think um I think there's loads of talent in our game. I just really in Ireland, I just really believe that. And I think Ulster have tapped into that. And if they you know, a few signings like your Vermulans and these guys, maybe one more I'm I'm thinking um, is probably what, what Ulster need. I'm not not hundred percent sure yet where I'd make that signing or what position. Um I'd probably be leaning towards somewhere in the pack. Um, you know, really marky. Sorry, probably tied five again. Kind of like I think tied five again, definitely. It's whether you go in the row because Henderson, you know, oh geez, I thought he was brilliant. I mean, like he's such a good athlete, isn't he? Like when he went down that ball, like he was racing the backs back for that chip through from Conway, um, which is obviously a standout moment. But he's kind of, you know, he is injury prone. Uh, he will be away with Ireland. He's an important part of the Irish puzzle, I think. He's because he's still a heavy guy as well. Matches up well with Ryan in that row for Ireland. I think he's important for Ireland. So. Do you get someone there to say, look, we well, need... Like, they They have Sam Carter there, you know, a wallaby. Oh, so, so, don't get me started. He was a bad... Yeah. He's not. He was never yeah, the he's... answer. I don't know what they were thinking with that one. I, I, if Even if you looked at the Australian rugby, look, I hate to be 
unbelievably harsh, but I think he probably suits that brand down there a bit more because he's a bit well, loose. Not I was going to say, if there's an Australian second row you wanted to sign, maybe Will Skelton <laughs> instead of Tom Carter. <laughs> I would have broken a bank for that guy. He looks like a lot of players. Rory McIlroy, open the checkbook. <laughs> well, I, the funny thing is, though, I think Skelton has really improved since um, uh, since Saracens. Saracens was a game changer for him. I mean, he, I mean, he, even that that match against uh, Leinster for for Saracens. Remember, he just he was so good that day as well. I know the La Rochelle one last year was really his coming out party. I think from an Irish perspective. Oh, I'm telling you, like I, I've seen him play other. Like he's definitely played better in these Leinster games than I've seen him play in in other games. Like <laughs> he, he doesn't he play needs like to that. get pumped for them. <laughs> no, I, just, I, I saw him play. La Rochelle played Toulouse in the two finals last year, and then they played in the opening game of this year's season as ah, well. But Toulouse match up way better size wise with with um like Toulouse are huge as well. No, they do. No, no, they do. I take that point. But just, I, there's something like himself and Ehi West, when they play Leinster, they just really get in the zone. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he couldn't miss a kick. It was unbelievably <laughs> annoying. Um, but sorry, look, just to go back to the point in Ulster, so impressive. Really pleased for them. Uh, I hope, again, that they can back up that performance. The key challenge for them, and it's what they should be talking about all week, is, right, Like, what, what are our big pillars in our game plan? But let's deliver on those things, uh, and I, then I think that's where they get to those that period where they can back up a huge. That, that's that's a really big performance against uh, against uh, Munster in the same way. Even though Munster underperformed, I think a lot of that was down to some very good Ulster play and some clinical play from Ulster. So, love to see them take the next step and uh, and get into that final will. And I think it'd be just reward for. I think um, investment in the project and trust in the local talent, um, you know, in, in their academies. You can see all these guys like Balakoon and all that. They're so worth investing the time in. They really repay you. Um, and, um, yeah, that's my views on, on them. I, I just really hope they get to that final now. It's, it's, it's important for them. This game is actually really important for them. And as you say, in terms of backing it up, because even across this season, I believe after they beat Leinster in the RDS, I think it was the Ospreys they lost to after that game. Yeah, like they had another that big, Yeah, they won two European games, and then I think then they were turned over. Maybe remember against Munster at Tomlin Park, Munster were down to fourteen, and but then against Toulouse, Toulouse. Like, Toulouse were on the rack. Yeah. They Toulouse beat Toulouse on the, rack the first and leg, yeah, the so. second second leg. You know, the last. Play. I know it was a killer last play, but still. Yeah, Not I just want to. I just want to read you a quote here from James Hume after the game because a friend of mine sent this on to me. I thought it was funny. It says, uh, "We know talking about Munster." He said, "We know from watching video reviews and doing our homework that we're so much better on them." And as a backline tonight, we just tried to do what we do, and everything came off. So it was a very, oh. a very bullish comment. Because my friend sent this to me, and he was like, <laughs> "Bullish is unbelievably generous." That's a shocker but, of a comment. <laughs> but I was like. You know, Ulster. What have Ulster done? Like Munster have gotten to a lot more big games than than Ulster have. And it's not. It's not as if Ulster have, are like you know this this world beating team as well. I just thought it was a very. I know Hume is a very cocky guy. I think after they won in the RDS, he was one of the guys giving a huge celebrations afterwards. But uh, an interesting comment. God, I would. Yeah, I. I would. If I was the media manager, I'd be saying, "Geez, like just try and keep, just be contained after the big ones." You just. Oh, I think if you're in the game long enough, I think you kind of start to realize that, you know, you just set yourself up for a fall with those things. Like, there's always going to be one of us looking at that going, mm, I'm going to read that out next week when you when you crash and burn against the Stormers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you get to play Leinster in the final and that, you know, a quote after that match in the RDS is going to be thrown in your face. But um, look, do you know what it does say is it says that he's got a lot of belief in his abilities and I think in the team. Um, and, you know, I think that probably is down to good coaching. Like, Whatever, 
one thing I think we're always striving for in the media, I think, is for kind of an honest view into what a player's really thinking. And I would say lots of players actually do think like that. Um, like, it's rare enough, I think, the players will go into a game thinking they're going to lose. Well, like, why do they think that? It's, they think that because they think they're better than the opposition if they play their game. And it sounds like he hasn't got a filter, <laughs> which is good for us. Um, hopefully he doesn't have egg on his face. But look, I've, I've lo- I love watching him play. Um, you know, I think he's a big player. He's a big guy. You know, he's quick, can come off either foot, uh, has an offloading game, has a passing game. Like, that's really, like, I've been so impressed with that from him because sometimes players can kind of, and he's got a, sorry, a nice little kicking game as well, his grubbering and stuff. Like, he, he has a very complete game. So, I'd love to see him take the next step in, in international rugby, but, um, you know, the Leinster guys, they're bloody good, and they were awesome against La Rochelle when, La- when Leinster were under pressure. So um, I have to say um, he's got his work cut out trying to get into that team, and sometimes you're better off maybe going quietly about your business. Sometimes you're not. We'll wait and see. Andy <laughs> Farrell might like that. Andy Farrell might love that comment saying, geez, I love how confident that guy is. Yeah, I think it'll all be borne out this Saturday against the Stormers about how much Andy Farrell uh, and James Hume like the comment. But just on the Leinster-Glasgow game, 76-14. I think it says it all that Danny Wilson's already out as the Glasgow head coach in in pretty short time since that game. Ah, Like, yeah, what do you make of a scoreline like that? Jeez, I I don't know. Like, I think I... um, I think I started looking after the baby halfway through the second half. I just couldn't. I was like, this is... God, it was a real bad and it was a pretty damning indictment of the league. Isn't it like if if it you know like Leinster got beaten last week? Um, you know, uh, I know it was very tight. Sorry, the week before against La Rochelle, um, and it was pretty tight. Um, La Rochelle are playing Leon to qualify for top fourteen, and basically a guy drops the ball on the line, like a, pro- a pretty much a gimme try for Leon. The last and... team in my accumulator as well. I almost oh, had a... lovely. I almost had a <laughs> <Seriously>. for betting, Will. <laughs> but um, yeah, he uh, look just a, just a, a shocker, you know. So it just shows you, like, sorry, th- things are a good bit more, good bit stronger in that um, top fourteen than we probably give it credit for, even if the quality of rugby probably isn't as easy on the eye. Um, with like 76 points, I mean, there was guys not even chasing back for tries. Like there was, you know, when I think it was Jimmy O'Brien's, like he, I know he might have done like kind of faked to put it down, but like you just never stop running. You just, no matter where you are, personal pride, you make sure the guy who's kicking the ball from the conversion has a tougher kick. It's just, it's a small thing. It's a small detail. You just do it. Like even if you're getting beaten at the gate, even if it's for that, whatever, I don't even know how... <laughs> Not sure how many tries, even if it was, even if it was, uh, you know, sixty nine points, and they're going for that last try, um, push him wide, push him as wide as you can. It's a, it's a personal standard, and I just think, you know, Glasgow are better than that. They are better than that. Like that's, it was embarrassing behavior. I thought at, at one point they just ran out the gate, you know. And look, Leinster are bloody good, and when their tails are up, you know, and you let them play, they've. They have 23 guys who will come on and can pass the ball and will find holes in your defense. And they are clinical. And they have guys who are strong. They have guys who are quick. They have guys who have footwork. They have good kicking games. Like, it's difficult. You know it's going to be difficult. It was a hard track, you know, that was good for running rugby. But you just cannot do what Glasgow did. And I, I just I have to say, you know, it's just a sh- it's really bad for the league. That's a bad look to have 76 points in, in uh, one of your quarterfinals, I think. I, I, like, did you have any views on that, Will? I, 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 well, particularly when they got the like, first try. Like, yeah, Glasgow <laughs> went 7 and up. You're like, oh, is there an upset on here? <laughs> about oh. five minutes later, it was 26-7. Uh, and just to your point about the effort and, and kind of the chasing, 
like Kieran Frawley, I think it was, who, who raced after their Glasgow number eight. Yeah, like, like that was five exactly, minutes to go to save a certain Leicester. try. And like you have to say, obviously, that, that was a guy who was obviously frustrated not to play the, the previous week, who wanted to give everything to maybe keep involved over the next couple of weeks. One thing that stood out to me, and I know it was a completely one-sided game, but I did raise this point last week. That's the only reason I'm raising it now is that like I thought Joe McCarthy was really good again. You know, yeah, he put himself physical, about, isn't he? Physical. Yeah, and I just thought, was there like was there a role for more of than five minutes against La Rochelle? Like Jordan Lammer, I know again weak opposition, but he looked yeah. absolutely unbelievable again. Again, going back to the bench composition <laughs> against La Rochelle just, and how it was used. Do you know what though? Like if you're getting done from his left from his right foot step, like I haven't done any video work on Jordan Larmer, but I know from watching him that he's got a vicious right foot step. If I get done on my right shoulder, I, I like I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Like he I am making that guy go around me on my left shoulder all day. And if someone has to step in because he burns me, then they, that that's what happens and he has to pass it. Like you'd have to wonder who does does, does any do any of these guys look at the opposition players? Like Larmer is electric. Like if you let him go, you know, and you let you leave him one on one situations, like you've got to at least know. I was, sorry, which is sorry. The, the point I should make, I should preface that. You know, the weather was good. You knew it was going to be kind of you know, de- it was weather was decent. Sorry, it, they were going to be throwing the ball around a bit. He was going to be a problem for you uh, throughout the day. You have to make people aware of what his traits are. Like, the amount of people he stepped with his right foot all day. Like, it was embarrassing. Like, it's like no one did any homework on them. Um, and you have to say, like, in a, in a, in a quarterfinal, like, coming up again, he would, have, he would have spent all week going. They would have spent two weeks probably going through video of Leinster. Like, how they would have not, how they wouldn't have prepared uh, and memorized, like, every single Leinster player's traits. And I just felt looking at it like they hadn't done any, any of those things. Um, or else it was just a, a, like an, an incredible accumulation of brain farts under pressure. Um, and I don't think it was that. So, yeah, look, Joe McCarthy, to, to touch on him, sorry, I probably should say, Larmer was electric. Great to see. It looks like he's Great back in a really good form. Well, playing well again. Oh, it's, look, really, really good. And he had loads of touches. That's what you want from him because he's a small guy. I, I, as I always say with him, his re- really important for him to get into the Irish team is that he has those touches. He has to be like a Shane Williams because otherwise all you're looking at is, you know, the, the, the weight and height, which you just don't get as much space at international level. You have to have someone like him wandering around the pitch all the time, putting people into space, making space for himself, getting one-on-ones with tired forwards who can't catch him. And he was doing that all day. And I, that's, what I, that's what I love. When I watch Jordan Larmer, that's what I want to see. And I thought he was brilliant. I just loved it. And I was delighted for him too. Um, on the Joe McCarthy thing, like he's, he looks a bit, he looks like a bit of a lump, doesn't he? It's great to see. Like Leinster need that. He looked physical. He was up for the fight. He's a real gem, I think. And maybe that was why they possibly, in hindsight, look, look maybe they let uh, Dunn go, is that they knew this guy was coming through. Um, because he looks like a big guy too, um, you know, and obviously him heading over to Exeter, you're kind of thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense for Leinster to be letting a local guy go go over and then getting in Jenkins, who, look, we haven't seen much of and, you know, was injured in, in Munster. So, um, yeah, really promising. I thought he had some, you know, he's, he's had some really good touches the last couple of weeks, hasn't he? And he looks like a guy who, you know, under the right stewardship and, look, I think he got, he's going to have that in Leinster with, with, with Leo Cullen there. Like, who better to learn the trade-off than him, uh, particularly from, you know, the line-out standpoint, but also from getting around the pitch. Like, Leo was a guy who, you know, wouldn't have set the world alight outside of lineouts, but God, was he really good at his basics. And he'll be able to tell him, you know, how he can have big impacts in the game, um, you know, just by finding himself in the right places, where he needs to be, uh, you know, 
what are the important stats for him to be chasing. Um, so I think he's in a great place to learn all those things. Uh, he'll have Shawnee O'Brien coming in as well, which is very exciting. I think it looks like Leinster might have added him to, to, to the kind of in that uh, Leamy role. Interesting to see what he brings in, in there. You know, you'd, you'd like to think that he'll be able to add something in terms of the contact. So I think they have loads of, you know, promising things around this guy. Um, and, and, you know, the key thing now is for him to get some game time, which I think you will get at Leinster because you have the likes of Ryan and that who probably, you know, will um, you know, be away with Ireland and, and different things. So good to see him, Will. Um, as you say, I think there probably was a bigger role for him. If you're going to have him on the bench instead of Baird, I think he needed to play him. Like that was always going to be a really difficult afternoon for for our front five uh, against that La Rochelle team. And I think in hindsight, it looks like someone like him and Baird, to be fair, even if we're like, it would have been that six two split is still sticking in my mind as maybe something that Leinster really needed to consider against those heavier packs. And they do have two real players in those two guys, from what I can see. So um, definitely worth thinking about. And uh, yeah, I really like the look of him. Well, we're going to turn our attention towards this weekend's URC semi-finals now, and we're delighted to welcome back AP Cronje to the show. AP, how are you? Yeah, no, really good, really well. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me back. No, our pleasure. When we had you on a couple of weeks ago, we were kind of discussing the place URC is has in South African rugby at the moment. We were maybe hoping that it could be a, a few Irish South African clashes towards the business end, and we've gotten to this weekend. Are people in South Africa excited about this weekend? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a a buzz that I don't think I've seen in South African rugby, at least domestic rugby, for a very long period of time. I think, uh, you know, it's just sort of evidenced by the crowds that came to the to the quarterfinals. You know, having two home quarterfinals was massive. Capacity crowds in both cases, COVID restrictions obviously still in place. But um, but there's a real, real positive sense. Uh, there was an interview done by uh, the CEO of the Bulls earlier this week, Edward, um, sorry, not Edward, Kinsier, Edgar, and uh, and yeah, he was he was basically sort of full of praise and adulation for just how how well the sides uh, his side had done, and and you know the, the take up from the from from the crowds have been been really positive. Yeah, well, I can confirm that the Bulls are settling in well, having seen them in Herbert Park yesterday, uh, enjoying the sunshine in Ballsbridge ahead of this Friday. Obviously, staying quite near the RDS. You know, it's interesting to see the Bulls AP. You know, maybe not stocked full of South Africa or Springbok stars, but. Still, you know, doing quite well to get the semi final. Like, who are the guys we should be keeping an eye on this Friday night that maybe people up here wouldn't be overly familiar with? Yeah, no. So I think that um, the Bulls are very much a side that you know, as you say, isn't packed with you know with with known quantities apart from perhaps Marcel who could see who you know you you guys and I will be very very well familiar with. But um, but I think someone to keep an eye on is uh, Ruan Norkia. Uh, the second row so he's obviously just won the urc ironman award and i mean is it couldn't really have gone to a better type of player really he's a he's an absolute warrior he's got a huge engine uh he's a very very young guy still but incredibly talented and, and sort of the beating heart of that the work rate uh, of the bulls pack and then another guy who i wouldn't be surprised if we saw would be uh, kanan moody he's a 20 year old superstar who who sort of come a little bit out of nowhere to be honest he he wasn't picked up after Craven Week in the same way that a lot of guys are. He wasn't sort of earmarked from early on. He had to take the road less travelled by. But I think what's interesting, if you look at all the Jake White sides of the past, um, he, he's got this way of identifying talent and, and bringing them through. We only have to think back to Franz Steyn, who we picked as a, as a 20-year-old for the World Cup in 2007. J.P. Peterson, who obviously played in the wing in that World Cup and, and wasn't much older. I think he was only 21 years old as well. So... Jake White's got this way of identifying these talented young players and bringing them through. And, and he's sort of waxing lyrical about Kane and Moody 
Uh, and I think that I'm starting to buy the hype, certainly. And, and I think that a lot of South African rugby media is as well. So he's another one to, to really keep our eye on. Yeah, interesting to see a few of the younger guys maybe coming in as well. Luke, you know, from a Leinster perspective, you know, the, the two games they played in South Africa a few weeks ago with the younger team was was a huge learning curve for those guys. It was interesting to see how they got on. Now the frontliners, you'd think, would come back pretty much on mass for Friday night. They beat both the Bulls earlier in the season, but that was a you know very different time. What what are you kind of expecting to see on Friday? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I think there's no way you couldn't watch the La Rochelle match if you were, um, you know, playing against Leinster. And I think, you know, who better to kind of have a game plan like that than, you know, a South African team? Just naturally big people, brilliant athletes, great kickers of the ball. Um, and also have some serious speedsters in pretty much every team out wide. So I think very quite kind of a similar brand and makeup to that La Rochelle team. So it'll be a massive challenge. I know the younger guys put up a good fight um, in their games down in South Africa, but they had similar problems to to you know the Leinster frontliners. Let's let's call them, um, you know, around scrum time, around managing those malls, and um, basically dealing with that weight of those South African packs. Um, so look, interesting uh, interesting challenge. I do think Leinster probably. You know, on home soil, very difficult challenge. Uh, you know, even Ron O'Gara alluded to that in his interview afterwards. You know, like outside of the Aviva, um, you know, or the RDS, you know, Leinster are probably a different team in there. They're they're so hard to beat, have a brilliant record at home. Um, so that probably is going to play against maybe uh, the Bulls to a certain extent. But I do think that there is a game plan there to trouble Leinster. I think if you attack them at the breakdown, if you can slow them down, if you can get off the line in the tight exchanges, if you can stop them getting that connection between... Um, the forward pod and the 10. That ball out the back has caused teams massive issues all season. And Ireland have actually been a good exponent of it too. Um, if you can put pressure on that on that, uh, that pass out the back while respect, respecting the front door option, like La Rochelle did, you can stymie that Leinster attack. And all of a sudden, they don't look like world beaters. Um, so that's, I think, if I was looking at the, the Leinster team, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be thinking I'm going to attack them in the air as well, depending on who they select. Um, and I think, you know, South African teams are always brilliant at that. And I think you know, scrum and line out, that, that's where you're got, you've got to be looking at those two areas thinking we're really strong there. They look like they're a little bit shaky. They look like, you know, they could be rattled in those areas and they might start doubting themselves. If there was any area in the pitch, they might do that. They're the areas. And I think I'd be interested to get AP's views on that. Um, but I think that's all very logical. Like that's the last time Leinster really looked like they got exposed was La Rochelle. I, I think there's a lot a lot there that I'd sort of echo. I think what's interesting, though, is you look at the Bulls and you look at what they're trying to achieve and what they're trying to do, and, and they've made no bones about the fact that they, they are basically looking to emulate Leinster, not, not just in terms of what they've achieved with their squad depth and, and the way that they manage themselves and their, their levels of professionalism, but also just in terms of the style of the rugby they play. Um, I think when they played them in the opening round and, and, and lost so so handsomely, I think it was a real wake-up call. And they realised actually that, that tempo is the way that they were going to set about, about evolving as a team. And the type of rugby that they're looking to play is actually very similar. And it was interesting watching the game against the Sharks because ultimately where the Bulls came unstuck in that quarterfinal, although they pipped it at the end, is perhaps the same way that they would look to attack Leinster, which is that they were losing the physical battle on the gain line. They were being bullied in contact by a Sharks pack that, that had them out-muscled, basically. And it meant that they couldn't get the, the front foot ball that they that they usually you know, thrive off of. They love having quick ball, two p- two players in clearing, and then, and then having quick ruck speed, um, which is very different to the Bulls' sides of old. This is very much a new 
sort of invention under Jake White's tenure. And Leinster play a very, very similar type of game and, and play a lot off, off 10. So exactly as Luke was saying, that that's probably where they're going to look to try and put some grit in the gears, really, is try and disrupt that. And I think that what, what was interesting, albeit obviously that probably, I don't know, but you'd expect Sexton will be back for this uh, uh, for this round. But ultimately, in the opening 10 minutes, I think Glasgow, before they obviously fell away completely and, and sort of rolled over, they actually did put... Leinster under pressure a little bit. They were forcing mistakes in that sort of 10 channel. They really came for them in the scrums. There was a, there was a scrum penalty as well before before eventually Leinster started to, to, to twist the, you know, to turn the gears a bit. But I think that you're, you're absolutely right. They, they're probably going to come for them at, at, at line-out time, certainly. Um, at scrum time, the Bulls have had their own woes. Um, but but I think very much on defence and in the physical contact, that, that that's sort of where they have, perhaps they'll see themselves as being, being their strongest area and, and where the best place to attack Leinster is. And we've got to remember, like, Jake White will be quite familiar with this Leinster team from the Montpellier days. Like, they, he's, you know, he's come up against them a few times. He'll be, he'll be familiar with the style of rugby. Um, I do think as well, you know, you do have to play against Leinster. Like, that, that's what I thought. I, I, I thought that La Rochelle did that brilliantly. They also, you know, when, they, when it was time to attack, um, you know, they had a big focus on, I think, nullifying Leinster and, and focusing on those two areas that, where they thought they could attack. But they also, when the, when the chance came to play some rugby, they really played. Like, they went, to, they went after Leinster in those wide channels. So this could be the most dangerous fixture that Leinster could have had, I think, in these, you know, at this stage of the competition. Um, and it'll be a massive test to see if they can turn around some of those, some of those real things that were possibly exposed against La Rochelle as possible, you know, as, as, as issues for the team when it comes to the big stage and maybe the reason why they haven't been able to get that Heineken Cup win. Yeah, AP, just on that Leinster-La Rochelle game and Leinster's defeat, like, what sort of um, kind of reaction has there been in South Africa? I don't know if, what the media, if they kind of were that interested in it, because I know the South African teams weren't involved in Europe this year, but they're obviously going to be in there next year. Has there been much commentary about, you know, what happened to Leinster and, you know, whether or not that is a blueprint or, or what it says about Leinster losing that game? Well, I think that the South African media, as I think most of the media, in fairness, thought going into that game was that, that Leinster would be too strong. And I think it was an upset victory. Uh, I think most of the press following that has been more focused around Raymond Rule and, and Dylan Leitz, who was obviously man of the match in, in that game and, and Rule obviously with the try. And so taking the South African angle from you know how, they, how they've improved, particularly Raymond Rule, who um, has a springbok has a few Springbok caps to his name, but but left South Africa under a bit of a cloud. And, you know, particularly his defensive ability was always questioned when he was playing in South Africa. And, and for him to now go and, and, you know, have played a lot at 13, which is possibly the most defensively difficult position on the pitch, um, you know, he and obviously succeed for, for La Rochelle now for, for a long period of time. So that was more the angle that the South African press took. I don't think anybody was sort of screaming and shouting, this is the way that you beat Leinster, this is the blueprint. I think that, um, maybe some people whispering it, but but I think overall, um, I think South Africa was just too happy really to, to have two sides in the quarterfinals. I don't think many people expected expected that. I mean, I certainly thought we might get one side to make it to the knockouts, but I wasn't expecting us to get three there um, and certainly didn't expect this to go this far in, into the competition. So I think that everything from here is sort of a bit of a bonus. Um and that's not to say that the sides are going to come and roll over now. I mean, that's obviously not the case, and they're definitely in it to win it now. But having said that, I think that you know everything's come a bit prematurely almost. The Bulls, I certainly think, are about you know two years, three years away from where they really want to be in terms of being real contenders. 
the Stormers have a bit more experience and have a bit more, um, you know, class in that side and, and probably, you know, having some World Cup winners there will obviously help them. And I'm sure we'll come on to discuss that. But I think that from the South African perspective, it's not, there's not a weight of expectation really on the side, which I think is probably a good thing. And, and it comes to Luke's point about La Rochelle coming and actually playing and attacking Leinster in the wide channels and, and basically not getting bottled up and thinking the moment's too big for them. And I think that's, really good in the sense for the Bulls. I, I, I sort of said this earlier in the week, actually, that it's the best possible thing in the world for them to go into this game on a tight turnaround with no massive expectation on their shoulders and just having that freedom to go and play and express themselves and, you know, really bring the fight to Leinster um, with, without, you know, having that much expectation either from the South African fans or, or just fans generally. Um, and I think that will sometimes allow allow them to, to play more freely and, and almost play with a fluidity that might threaten Leinster. Yeah, and just one thing on Jake White, he's been mentioned a couple of times. I'd be interested to, you know, get your kind of take on, like, what's the view on him in South Africa? Obviously, a World Cup winning coach, traditionally in rugby, they kind of ride off into the sunset and just kind of comment from the sidelines like Clive Woodward, you know, does. They, they rarely get their hands dirty back in the club game. He's still trucking along, you know, coaching the Bulls. Obviously, Luke mentioned was with Montpellier. Do people in South Africa, you know, obviously he, he loves a good comment and a good quote. Like, do people see him as, you know, this genius who won the World Cup? Do they kind of see him just kind of, yeah, just well, how do they see him, I suppose? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, I think that he is a very divisive figure. And I think that sometimes he comes off worse than than perhaps he, he means to. I think he's just one of those people who just comes across really badly in interview and uh, you say that he loves a comment. He does love a comment, but I think a lot of what he says is contextually sometimes pretty bad or doesn't come, doesn't come across as the true meaning. Um, but, but in terms of how he's perceived in South Africa, I think he is, I think he's underrated to be honest with you. I think he, he, he went off and was at the Brumbies for a while and he saw success there. And, um, I think, you know, had, had, had actually success in, in being one of the, one of the only club sides to beat the Lions in, in that tour, um, which was, which is for him a massive achievement. Um, but he's sort of been gunning for an international, uh, coaching appointment for for a long period of time and, and didn't really get it with Australia and, and and sort of wanted it with Japan for a while and that didn't really work out and then was at Montpellier and he was at the Sharks so he's a bit of a journeyman coach if I can use that term um, but what he really does have is he he knows how to get the job done and he, he knows how to win um, and all his sides when they get to knockout rugby tend to tend to step it up a level uh, and when it really counts, tend to come up with the W. And we saw that again this week with with the Bulls pipping the Sharks at, at the very end. Um, there was just this calmness in the last ten minutes by the Bulls, and and you know for them to to work their way up the pitch methodically and then and then seal seal it with a drop goal. It, it just sort of all his sides have this calmness in, in knockout games that that really um, you know it gives me as a Bulls fan quite a fair bit of confidence going into this this final game. Yeah, no, he's certainly an interesting character. Even his comments earlier this year about Connacht and how they're all failed Leinster players, basically, who couldn't get contracts <laughs> up there uh, were, were, were pretty funny at the time. Uh, the yeah, other big game was Stormers also. Before the Bulls then got absolutely smashed by Connacht, which was the, you know, it leaves you with a bit of egg on your face when you make a comment like that and then, and then go, <laughs> get your ass handed to you. Exactly. That's the danger of, of speaking your mind. As we talked about James Hume earlier, Luke, uh, who he might have a similar egg on his face potentially this weekend after the Stormers game. But, you know, from, from an Ulster perspective, like what did they need to do to, to, to get a maybe, I don't know if it's an upset victory. I think it's pretty tight in the betting. It was a very tight game when they played a couple of weeks back and only maybe a refereeing decision towards the end probably denied them a victory. You know what? What do you think they need to do this Saturday? 
I mean, Ulster Stormers is going to be a really interesting one, and I, I actually, uh, I actually tip Ulster to take it, and and there's a number of reasons for that. I think that ultimately the Stormers have struggled at lineout time um, for for a number of weeks now. They've had uh, you know hookers coming in and out from injury, and it's just sort of malfunctioned. And we saw that even against um, against Edinburgh, it sort of malfunctioned pretty badly in the second half. Um, on top of that, they've now got a bit of a crisis in the midfield uh, with Damien Willems, who's injured, Rikas Praturis went off injured. So they've now got a, a glaring gap at inside centre. I mean, three three minutes into the quarterfinal, you had a 20-year-old fly half um, who's never played inside centre at any level play, you know, 77 minutes uh, inside centre. Uh, so they've got a real worry in the midfield there. And, and ultimately, so much of what makes them threatening is how they attack off of second receiver, off of Damien Willemse, who himself is a is a fly half converted inside centre. So uh, I think that they're probably going to struggle a bit in terms of getting fluidity and attack. Um, so much is dependent now on, on Warwick Kalant in that respect. And I think they're probably going to struggle in the lineup. So it, we'll see. I mean, Ulster did a pretty good job of dismantling um, the Ulster pack, at least, did a pretty good job of dismantling Munster in the last game. So I think that what they'll uh, they'll be looking to do is really target the Stormers forwards. Um, and it'll really come down to who can stand up better, better there, really. Yeah, Luke, from your perspective, you know, we talked about earlier about Ulster and the consistency and backing up a big performance. Would that be kind of one of the worries for you, that, that they just don't hit the pitch that, they, that we know they can? Or is, are there other kind of technical things or areas you feel that they might struggle? I, I Look, I just feel like they've... Going away from home for them is... Like, for the most part, that's been a challenge. Um, this year, maybe not so much, although I think maybe that might be skewed by that... To lose match where there was obviously a red card, uh, so maybe I'm. But I just think I'm thinking back to that Leinster game. They weren't overall there. This might be the rallying call I think for them is that they you know away from home can they pitch up after a big home win against Munster and take the next step as a team. Um, I think AP is a good point in terms of just that feeling you get about maybe Ulster taking this one. It's hard to say. It's, you know, you look at it and you kind of on the face would you say, well, it's a South African team at home. You know, they're they're very strong there traditionally um you know this is a these you know the stormers are further on in the project uh, as ap said um you know it seems like a big ask to me but i just feel like they might be on the cusp of something here i've i've i think i've said this quite a few times over the last two or three years uh, ap you won't have heard me but will is probably sick of it uh ulster just seem to they can't get that second win in a row or that third win in a row where you're kind of saying okay this team is now established this team has taken the next step they're now a real contender on a week-on-week basis uh, and that's been the worry with them so uh, i feel like they might be at that stage now uh, there's been a few false dawns um you know can they compete at that breakdown with uh you know a south african team like they're just so strong there south africa like and i think if they can do that they certainly have the players to trouble um you know this stormers team now i know like the store i was looking at the, like the stormers down in, in in the defensive stats you know they're, they're quite low down from their league season now i think they got off to a slower start than some of the irish teams for example um like they're, they're ranked 11th um you know with kind of reasonable you know tackle success and turnovers one kind of areas you'd be looking at that might be a problem for ulster um i think they're better they've, they've really improved on those areas from having a, a very bad start and i actually think if if you know, Ulster need to be aware of that. Um, but 
you know, can they impose that game plan on them while also saying, look, we can't give away these turnovers because they'll punish us with the pace they have. Um, but you can see that those Ulster backs, they're very confident. They play a nice brand of rugby. They can open you up if you give them space. Um, and the Stormers will give you space at times. Um, so to my mind, that's the key. Can they get that parity up front away from home against the South African pack? to give those backs the opportunity to impose themselves and get a win. Because I think, again, similar to uh, the Bulls coming to the Aviva, Ulster will have to play some rugby here. Uh, that's how they get this done, I think, is that they they, they open up um, you know, that back line, those two centres that we talked about, uh, McCluskey and Hume. If you can stop them from a Stormers perspective, it goes a long way, I think, to beating Ulster. But if they impose themselves on you, they're big men, they've got good footwork, they're good offloading and passing in games. You know, if they can impose themselves on this Stormers team and open up those wide backs, you know, with, with opportunities that they did that they gave them against Munster, they will get tries. So that that's the blueprint for me. Can they do it? I think they can. Is the time for them to eventually take this step that we've all been waiting for? Is this the weekend that they do it? Um, you know, I think a lot of Irish fans and Ulster fans are hoping that it is, and I think they might be there. I, I like Dan McFarland as a coach. I think this could be the time that he gets them over the hump mentally. Um, because it's such a big challenge going away. If there was ever a time you could rally the troops, this is it. Just before we finish up, AP, one one thing that kind of does intrigue me about this weekend, and maybe as a South African, you might be able to answer it, is you know the, the travel piece of it. Like you mentioned the Bulls on a short week coming to Dublin. As I said, I saw them yesterday, so they're already here nice and early to, to kind of bet, bet in. Likewise, Ulster going down to Cape Town. Like I know that the time difference is pretty similar, so it's not like huge jet lag, but it still is a long half flight the week of a game. And what role that might play in it, like, and especially for the for the victors and next week going on to a potential final and how they might have to fly back up and play another game, like that all make kind of make. I'm curious to see how it works out. What what what's your view on that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one because I think for you guys it's something very very new. Whereas for for us South Africans, it's like, well, you know, what's the fuss? I mean, if you look at the bull, uh, sorry, the the Sharks team, um, and I forgive me because I think it was 2014 Super Rugby. They. Uh, they were playing in Queensland, beat the Reds, flew back, played the Stormers away. So flew to South Africa, beat the Stormers, then flew to Argentina and then flew from Argentina to New Zealand. And obviously when they got to the to the final, they were just absolutely out of it. You know, they've been, they'd crossed a million time zones in the space of about three or four weeks. They'd played games competitive rugby. So I think that if you speak to the players and, and from the players I've spoken to and from some of the coaches, the the difficulty is the time difference. So I don't think that we should under, should understate that. Um, and although that, yes, it is a long haul flight, obviously um, you do have the benefit that it's all overnight. So the Bulls departed uh, Monday night. They'd have, you know, got on the plane at about 8 p.m. and woken up, you know, at 9 a.m. bright and early in, in Ireland and sort of ready to go. So then after that, it's the S&C guys and, and, and the physios just making sure that they're ready for it. But I think that it's difficult to underestimate the, the sort of the sapping effect it has if you're crossing time zones and your body just doesn't feel like you should be performing at that at that time of the day. So again, I mean, for us as South Africans, it's sort of like, oh well, this is par for the course. But but I mean, it would be it'd be wrong to suggest that it's not it's not a factor. It doesn't play that doesn't play a role. I'm sure it does. Um, and I, and you know, a lot has been said about it in in the lead up to the competition and and as part of the competition and. Uh, I suppose it is it is a drawback and it's sort of almost, un well, it is unavoidable, really. Um, but, you know, how much of a role it plays is, is difficult, difficult to say. Um, I, I think that if the Bulls do lose, you'll, you'll, you'll certainly not hear any any complaints from from our end about it. <laughs> um, so I, I just hope that it doesn't become this sort of big, big talking point. Um, I, I hope that we can sort of just focus on on, on the rugby more than anything, really. The, the Friday does not seem right, though. 
I have to admit. Yeah, yeah, that, that seems odd. Friday doesn't well. seem right. That seems like a really poor bit of scheduling to my mind. I don't know what you think, Will. I would have thought, you know, you've got a, a two o'clock kickoff for Ulster and Stormers, I think, and you've got like what a Friday for a semi final. Like it's surely it's gotta be a Saturday back to back. Ulster have an eight day turnaround to go to South Africa and the Bulls have a six day turnaround to come to Dublin. It doesn't it, it seem seems very crazy fun. to me. Like I don't yeah. I just don't understand how you can't have that on a Saturday after a really hard fought win against Look, it doesn't matter actually who the opposition is. I'm going to say, like, like a, a derby match is always that little bit more physical, I think. But uh, that just seems to me that, that that's just not right. Um, and look, I know like, you have to have that mindset going in that you're not going to complain about it. It's not going to be an issue. But, you know, in the last 10, 15 minutes of this, you know, you've got a, what is it, an eight-hour, nine-hour flight maybe. I don't know what it is exactly. Uh, it's, again, the time difference does. Everyone I've talked to, even the South African guys, I remember having a conversation with, I think it was Bismarck Duplessis about why he came to, to obviously France for the money, of course. But, um, you know, he also said, like, the time difference thing is really challenging. Still a nine-hour flight. The body, you know, it takes it does take a while to, to kind of acclimatize and get back to, to, to neutral. As you say, the S&C will have a big week. And look, the one thing I would say is at this time of the season, you're not really doing much weights anyway. You're just kind of just a maintenance. You might do one weight session, etc. But it still is hard for them. And Friday just does not seem right for me, um, in, in, you know, to, to, to get prepared properly for this and really give us a spectacle that I think the competition deserves. So I think that's a bit of a blooper, if I'm being honest. I think it's silly not to have them back to back, particularly when you've got an early kickoff on the Saturday one. I don't know if you guys agree. If that's uh, that seems to me like a bit of a mistake. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with you. I think it's 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 tricky though. I mean, I'm sort of trying to think, you know, what was the thinking going into the scheduling? And it's probably because you know you've got the Premiership, um, you know, competing for for TV audiences possibly, and and they're obviously Saturdays is pretty much they're playing the entire Saturday. But you, you kind of do feel like you have to put your your own competition first and it seems logical to me that they would have gone either saturday sunday or, or, or at least both on on saturday um so yeah it is a scheduling blooper but i'm, I'm not going to come down too hard on the organizers because i think after after the season and after the year we've had you know we also have to remember that the urc didn't have a single cancelled game uh given you know omicron happened given there's been so many challenges with covid it, it's almost near miraculous that they've pulled it off so um, you know, something to work on for next year, and, and hopefully next year we can we can get the get the semifinals a bit bit better aligned. I'd actually forgotten about Omicron almost until you mentioned it there. <laughs> uh, so, uh, a very great uplift. Don't forget uh, about the monkeypox; they're oh, coming too. Oh, oh, Jesus, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all. That's all we need now. But as AP said, hopefully we get two good semifinals now at uh, the finish of the season, and then a great final uh, to come. So for the moment, Luke, AP, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, thanks so much. That's all we have time for this week on the left wing, but we'll be back next week with another podcast looking back on the URC semifinals. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.